Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Freestyle. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and hockey and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity to drive your career forward. Folks, my guest today on the podcast is former NHL player and current life and strategy coach Dave Scatcherd. Dave was drafted in 1994 to the Vancouver Canucks and played over 650 games on various teams in the NHL, including five seasons with my New York Islanders. Dave played until 2011 when he took a particularly dirty hit and walked away with a life-altering fifth major concussion. And he spent years afterwards on Alzheimer's medication and putting his all towards recovery with no real sign of hope. And doctors at the Mayo Clinic had all but completely written off a full recovery, but with the help of a life coach, Dave was able to turn things around in the right direction. And Dave has completely turned his life around and is coaching his own clients to do the same. And this one gets deep real quick, so let's get into it. Dave Scatcherd, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Fellow Islander fan, I'm even more excited to be here. You're the real deal. It. And uh, we're going to have fun today. I'm excited. Cool. And I, I see your Islander jersey uh, behind you over there, over your, over your shoulder. Let me ask you a question. I mean, before we even get into it, like, Favorite restaurant in, in near in the area over here. Where I'm at. <laughs> Are you like a Vincent's guy? I mean, I know Vincent's is all over the Coliseum, right? Like they're catering into it. But what no. was your spot? What was your spot, oh, man? Oh wow. Dude, there were so many amazing restaurants. I, I don't know if I could pick one. Um what's the pizza joint there that everybody loves? Um is it is it Grimaldi's? Is that a thing? Well, Grimaldi's in Brooklyn, man. And we got we got uh, La Piazza here in in Merrick, which wasn't too far away. Um, what? But I can I can imagine after after many teams in many cities, it starts to get a little a little hazy there. Right? <laughs> but let's um let let's jump into it. And I think it's always important, especially I love talking to, to hockey players. Quick little factoid here: when I, I I went to University of Buffalo and I interned for the Buffalo Sabers uh, from '99 to 2001, I was there on the ice. If you recall, when Brett Hall kicked the puck into the net to win. Do you remember that? I do. Um, and I was my job. I was on the ice uh, by the. I opened the door to let the Stanley Cup out. The right. guys with the cup, and those Buffalo fans. I mean, you know Buffalo man. They were hauling hot dogs, anything that they could throw, and I was getting nailed, man. And that that was actually one of the most memorable experiences of my life. Wow, that was a huge goal, and that rule <laughs> that rule was kind of like a newer rule like within the last couple of years they were real sticklers the whole time but it was such an emotional time and they won yeah like you couldn't put the dragon back in the box after everyone jumped on the ace and, it went like and that crazy. was and that was the whole thing man it's like how do you yeah, exactly how do you stick the genie back in the bottle right like right. And, and the cup is coming out and the team it was just, it was a disaster and that city rioted afterwards man wow. they, they were hardcore but let's bring it back what, what was it like growing up in up in Canada and salmon arm what, what was it like there growing up as a kid 
Yeah, I spent a lot of my earlier years in Hinton, Alberta, and then I moved to Salmon Arm. And, um, you know, in Hinton, everything was frozen. It was this prairie town. Like all year round? Like <laughs> mostly, mostly year round. And um, my dad worked in the coal mines. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, and there wasn't really a lot to do. Like, it just seemed like everybody would go to the ponds or go to the outdoor rinks or whatever and in my book the comeback my journey through heaven and hell which i uh, thankfully is a bestseller on amazon oh yeah i i share some of these stories where like the ice would freeze all the way through on these ponds right to the ground and parents would drive vehicles out onto the freaking ice <laughs> surface and have a tailgating party and like st sometimes start fires on top of the ice like that's how crazy it was and that's how, how cold it how is. cold it was <laughs> how cold it was and i remember one time i was i had some soup in my thermos in my scooby-doo lunchbox and i'm standing <laughs> waiting for the bus and uh my it was so brittle and cold that my little plastic cheap lunchbox just broke in half and just fell and my thermos just <laughs> fell on the ground and started rolling down the sidewalk like you, you oh you'd God. lick your you'd lick your zipper and your tongue would stick to the zipper like that's how cold it was and that was like i thought everybody lived like that and what's funny is i'm thinking back to it now i used to like love freestyle bmxing and and bmx riding and stuff and um i'd buy these magazines like bmx and I would look and I'd see people riding in December with no shirts, like no shirts on in California. And I'm like, oh, my God, one day, one day I'm going to live in a place where it's not one so day cold. I could take my jacket off. I mean, I can't even imagine. But like, how did how did that environment like really like toughen you up as a kid? You know, I assume you're out on the pond. You know, that's where you got your your first taste of hockey. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, like almost all all the kids there, boys and girls were on skates and, and before they could even walk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, we that was. I probably got put on ice at two or three years old and I didn't know what I was doing. I stumbled around. I think they gave us a little chair to push around on the ice for balance and stuff, but that was kind of how it started. Nobody is sitting there showing you how to do a perfect stride or how to stop or anything. Um, so the funny thing is, is like, I look back on those moments and like, I never even, it wasn't even a big deal. That was the only thing that I knew. I didn't know any other life. So then like later on when life gets hard or when it's freezing or whatever, like now I'm kind of soft because I'm living in Arizona. <laughs> but I mean, you're, you're, you're literally a polar, polar, <laughs> polar opposite there. Yeah. And, and, but I told myself one day I'm going to live somewhere where I don't have to shovel the driveway. And, oh, and, and I Arizona. do that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, man, it was a, it was a beautiful way to grow up as a kid a lot of freedom. I, I was allowed to run around, ride my rollerblades. I tell some hilarious rollerblading stories in the book because back then they weren't a thing. I, I had one of the first pairs of rollerblades probably in Canada. Wow. And um, I would used to ra race the school bus. I used to race the school bus these three or four miles and the kids on the bus would like pull ahead and then they'd be, it was like a movie. Like they'd be cheering out That's the window, funny. like, go, go. And then like they'd pull away and I could barely see the bus and then they'd have to stop and pick somebody up and I'd come racing and jumping the curbs. And like It became this fun game where everybody was in, even the bus driver was, was laughing and looked forward to those races. But think about that. Like think about how times are different now. I mean, listen, polar yes. opposite, you're, you're kids now, they're growing up, technology is different, but like, Kids were outside. I mean, I remember that, right? I'm I'm mm -hmm. turning 43. We're we're mm -hmm. relatively close in age, right? Like, mm -hmm. we we did things. We went outside. We played, and and I see my kids playing. But you know, technology is pulling them closer. I mean, how how are you raising your kids as a father to to still give them that taste of and of adventure 
and exploration and and physically doing things instead of just being instead of the freaking screen all day yeah it's a great question and it's a it's a real problem and um you know one of my kids uh he's a genius he's a middle my middle they're all really smart kids but this kid's like got a photographic memory and stuff and he doesn't study and he gets away with it and wow. he had a hundred percent grade in this certain class and all of a sudden he starts getting like d's and c's and f's and i'm like what's going on and i'm like hey bud like what talk to me he's like no i don't know i don't know what's going on i don't i didn't know those 20 assignments were due and i'm like yeah. what world are you living in i said tell me what's going on i end up finding out that he's wearing a beanie at school and he's got his uh phone in his pocket and he's listening to music so when she's handing out the homework or the assignments like he's not even paying, paying attention, attention. <laughs> but he's so smart that He'll get 100% on the tests, oh, wow. but he doesn't know when any of the homeworks do because he's not paying attention. So his his phone's up for a month right now, and he's a more peaceful kid. He's a more relaxed kid, and and we don't let them go even on, on social media. It's just like texting those buddies and like all this stuff. And he's I have a a 10, 11, and 14 year old, and it's a different world. We didn't grow up with that stuff. And and truthfully, like oh, you asked me how we raise our kids, well. We went up to Telluride. We drove seven hours. We did a little road trip to Telluride from from Scottsdale, and we had no electronics uh, on the trip. And our kids just hiked, and we hiked up to these mountains. Like they did, like five six mile hikes, like through the mountains and up to these waterfalls. They were the happiest kids. We played cards every night, like just like how you and I, I would it. do as a, as as we were just kids. Getting back to basics, right? Just getting back to basics. That's that's what you got to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do that. Um, I want to get back to um, you know, your story growing up. When when did either you or someone else recognize that you you had a gift out there playing hockey? Was it that moment? Was there somebody who who was it that said this dude's got the gift? I think that there were uh, multiple times when it like I didn't I didn't think anything of it, but other people were seeing things, and I ended up playing with kids that were two years older than me at a certain point. Um, just cause I needed more competition. We we're in this little small coal mining town. Push yourself. Yeah. So I moved up to two levels and then I was like the best player on those teams. And then I remember this referee and true story. His name was Jason Morrell. I think I put it in the book. He was a really good player. He's probably the best player in the town, but when he wasn't playing in like Pee Wee yeah. or Bantam, he would referee games and he came down to referee our game. I think I had eight or nine goals. And he walked into my dressing room and I was young. I was like, man, like nine or 10. And he came in and he goes, Hey, I just wanted to see if you do an autograph for me. And I started laughing. Right. I'm like, yeah, right. And he's like, cause I idolized him. And he's like, no, man. He's like, you're going to make it. And I'm like, make what? <laughs> he's like, you're the best player that I've ever seen in this town. Like you have a chance. So that was my first autograph when I was like 10. And it's a great story. And uh, I, I did. I don't know if I put that in the book, but it's like. Then I went to training camp. This is a hilarious story where I where I slept the night in my dad's truck. It was freezing cold. We didn't have much money, so we didn't couldn't afford a hotel room. I sleep in my dad's work truck. All the seals are broken because he works in the coal mines. So it's freezing. Freezing, like the whole inside of the thing is frozen. Might as well just slept outside. Like there was no point. No point. It was awful. Yeah. <laughs> and then my dad, I'm just shivering the whole night, and my dad's freezing. So we end up zipping our sleeping bags together and like, like literally spooning in the freaking truck for the night. Do what and you got to do. I wake up, 
And I hear all these car doors slamming. So that we got woke up by kids showing up at the rink for this camp. And I thought I was doing a camp with kids my age as like a development camp or something, right? That's what I was, I was there for. We drove three hours to get there, spent the night in the truck. I walk in and dudes have like beards, hairy chests, like huge legs, huge chest. They're all like, like what the way bigger than me. And I'm like, what is going on? So I look at my dad, like panicked. He goes, I'll find out what's going on. He walks up. He's like, yeah, Dave Scatcher's here. And I'm thinking there might be another ice surface that these other guys are going right, on or something. Rink or something. And it wasn't. I was invited to main camp for like these 16 to 20 year old kids. And I'm 12. Oh, I don't Jesus. even have, I like it. I'm so, I'm, I don't need puberty. I'm just this little yeah. skinny kid. I have Cooperall pants on. I remember the Cooperall pants. <laughs> Nobody else had those. I was the only kid. I had a full XL7 face mask on from, from and then so the GM comes out to have a talk with my dad and like, we got to get on the ice. Like the time's crunching down. We got 30, 40 minutes. I'm frozen. I'm trying to have a hot chocolate to warm up. That's like my breakfast. And then the guy's like, well, we can't let him out there. He's going to get killed. My dad's like, look, we just slept the night in the truck. Can you just give him one shot? Like give him one ice session. If it's too, too rough for him or whatever, then we'll, we'll pull him. Well, I go out there and my first, very first shift, I'm, they put me on a line with two, tough 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 guys and i remember them coming to the dressing room saying do what you do if you're goal scorer score goals if you're hit or hit if you're fight or fight well very first shift the two guys beside me drop their gloves and just start beating the tar it's like a line brawl and i'm like looking across at my centerman and he goes like he's smiling he's like you want to go and i'm like no <laughs> like i was terrified <laughs> so they're fighting a giant so right? these guys fight <laughs> anyways long story short i i'm terrified i'm trying to get killed the first 10 minutes of the game, but then I kind of find my rhythm and I start to make some plays and then I wasn't scared anymore. And then afterwards, my dad's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, I think I want to try to play again, like tonight. So man. I played again. I scored a goal that game. I come back the next morning. I score another goal. And then the, the last game, the, the like sort of championship thing, I had two goals and an assist and scored the game winner on a breakaway, skating for my life, by the way. That's and there's amazing. a, so I was 12 and, yeah. and I was playing against some really big, tough dudes and somehow I survived and God protected me. And, and I was just like, all right, let's do this. You know, do you remember, do you remember like during that time, like that one of the, the first times that one of those big dudes just smashed you? Oh Yeah. Like, this is what it feels like. This is like a real hit. <laughs> well, and then I I didn't want to cry, right? Like, it knocked the window to me. But I'm like, I got to get my head on a swivel. Like, if these guys hit me, they're going to hurt me. Because, like, I was, no joke, I was probably the skinniest kid that you've ever seen in your life. I have pictures that would make your head spin. And I was probably at 10 years old, or no, 12 years old. I would have been about, like, maybe 100 pounds. Maybe. So come what? <laughs> And I'm playing against guys who are 210, 220. Yeah, like fully, fully developed male adult <laughs> human beings here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, you, you, you did what you had to do, right? You had to go out there and and do your thing, and that just built confidence. I can only imagine like how that toughened you up, and you were ahead of the curve there. So, talk to us. What's what's it like? You know, what was that road like getting drafted by the Canucks? Well, what's crazy was I wasn't rated at all to start the junior year. And then at Christmas, I was rated 168 in the in the world. And then I got mono. And I couldn't play for like the whole second half of the season. This is my draft year. So I'm just like super depressed. I went, I was six foot three. I'm 17 turning 18 years old. I'm six foot three. And I went down to 140 pounds. 
and I was really only about 180 normally, but I lost like 40 pounds, dude. Yeah. And my spleen was four times the size. I couldn't exercise. I couldn't work out. Long story short, uh, I ended up like secretly going off and trying to like do like two minute workouts. I remember I'd uh, start on two minutes on the stairmaster and I go two minutes today, three minutes tomorrow. Let's just try to like keep ourselves like moving. And after a certain amount of time, I think the sweating started to like help clean out my system and I started to like feel better. And by the time that the doctors cleared me to play, it was almost playoff time. And I had great playoffs. I played with Lonnie Bohannis and Adam Deadmarsh, who both went on to play in the league at certain points. Adam was a superstar. Uh, had to retire early because of concussions. And then the crazy thing was, Adam, is I went back to my hometown after the season and I just trained like because I missed so much time. And I trained hard, like really hard, the hardest I've ever trained. And then we went back for what would essentially be like the NFL combine, but it's the NHL uh, central scouting fitness testing. I'm sure there's an acronym for that. And I ended up uh, uh, finishing first in the world. Uh, for any of the kids that were testing and that really ranked highly with Vancouver. I go into the the meeting with Vancouver and they say, listen, we, we think you have potential, but you're really raw. Like you might spend some time in the minors. Are you okay with that? And I said, yeah, man, like uh, whatever Here's it takes to get to the NHL, it's, it's a higher level than juniors. So that's moving up in my opinion. And then George McPhee, the, the GM of the, Vegas Golden Knights now he said uh, well what if you have to play there like a while I'm like yeah no problem and he goes well like what do you mean like how long would you play before you'd go to Europe and make some real money or whatever and I go I wouldn't I'd just stay there because I want to play in the NHL he goes like two years I'm like I'd say there 10 years if I knew that I was going to get to the NHL because I'm here to play in the NHL I'm not trying to go to Europe and he's like dude that's the best answer i've had all day from anybody that asked that question too and he's like uh, i just want you to know you finished first in the world in this fitness testing and we look for athletes and he said we can teach you how to play hockey but we can't teach you how to be an athlete where where does that work ethic and discipline come from was that from your dad was that from your parents is that something you had inside yeah man my dad was just uh uh he was like an army dad and to attend that last story, I finished, I ended up getting drafted 42nd overall in the world, which is like, I, I was shocked. It was in the second round. It was on day one. Back then they had two days of the draft. It was huge and big honor. And that was, I'm like, wow, this is really, this is really happening. It's real. It's happening. Yeah. So the work ethic, uh, my dad just would push me in a healthy way. He would challenge me. He'd say, well, what do you think? Because he knew how bad I wanted it. He was, what do you think are some things you could do to help you make it? And I'm like, well, I mean, I got to get stronger. Uh, I got to get a harder shot. I need better conditioning. I need to be faster, like everything. So he goes, what are some things you think you could do at home? And I'm like, well, maybe I could get ankle weights for Christmas and wear mm -hmm. ankle weights everywhere. Maybe I could rollerblade every day to school. Maybe I could uh, run in the woods every day. Maybe. And he, and he said, what about your shot? And I said, I think if I gathered pucks after the big boys practice, maybe I could take a hundred pucks home and shoot those hundred pucks like every day. And I religiously did this. This was like meditation for me back in the day. And I would shoot thousands and thousands and thousands of pucks. Physical muscle memory and mental muscle memory. Yeah. And think about that exercise back then to where you are now. And we'll get into the journey, how important that 
discipline and and skill set was. So fa fast forward, let's let's talk about your your. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I I want to add. To the, I want to add to that, please, because I know where you're going with it, and it's like I was doing visualization exercises before that was like a common thing, and my dad would say like, see yourself like practicing. If you can't get out on the ice, like see yourself making moves, and I would literally like consciously go, I'm going to go visualize for like 30 minutes. And this is like a little kid, like, and I can't tell you the amount of times where I had deja vu, where I had already made a move or fallen into the boards or fought somebody. And I already did it in my mind. And I'm like, where have I done this before? And it was like, during these visualization practices, actually, like, I don't do them the way that I used to do them. Now I should almost bring that back into my life because I was really good at it. And, uh, you know, I believe in manifestation. I believe I, that that's literally what was on my tongue, Dave. Like yeah. I was literally about to spit out and you're manifesting and that's the way yeah. it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we're, we're connected to the same field now. So this is like, you know, we're going to start thinking with one brain as we go along here. And what people don't understand is there is an energetic field. And that's a whole nother conversation. But this is the world that I live in now where we're working with energy. We're working with the field and we're having impact on humanity in ways that like, it would sound crazy if it wasn't happening and I couldn't prove it, but we've proven it. The last year we had 17,000 people come through our, our, our free challenges. Um, you know, we had over 200 new clients coming from my coaching programs. And it's like that stuff doesn't happen if we're not bringing in the right juice, the right energy. And I didn't understand it. the energetics until I began training with some incredible people. And we'll, we'll get into that later. CEOs and chief people leaders don't magically wake up with a staff full of people ready to execute their vision. And nowadays, it's harder than ever to find a decent staff without it taking months. That's where HireRect comes in. HireRect is the first chat-based hiring app that lets hiring managers and recruiters chat directly with job seekers. Just download the app and enjoy curated recommendations that fit your job description to a T. It's 10 times faster than any other hiring process on the market. And the best part, it's totally free. Download HireRec today, available in all app stores across the U.S. Please visit www.hirec.us backslash recruit and tell them that you heard of it from Adam on the podcast. Thanks. I've had the opportunity to, to speak some to speak to some other uh, great world-class athletes like yourself, and I love to ask about that rookie season. If you could share with us one just crazy, fucked up, silly, stupid story from rookie year. Oh my God, there's like a thousand, like <laughs> All you, you can imagine, <laughs> you can imagine like my mind, my mentality is I'm a small town kid from Canada. And now all of a sudden, like, you Vancouver's know, a big city. Vancouver, I'm in Vancouver. I'm, I'm starting the season in Japan. Mark Messi is my roomie. Like really? I used to watch yeah. the guy on TV. He was one of my idols. And you're in a room with him, like just hanging out at night. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And, and he's like mentoring me and he's teaching me like things about the league and all this stuff. And then my rookie dinner is like 20 five thousand dollars and you know my my first two or three paychecks didn't cover what i owed mess because my credit card only went up to five grand <laughs> you know so like this is real man it's real talk and it's like you yeah. know but um there were things that i did really well and there were other things that i would have liked to do better and and one of the things that i didn't execute on and mark tried to mess tried to tell me this he said you know your first year especially the way you play dave where you're hitting everybody and you're gonna have to fight and stuff he's like you should go crazy on a couple guys like smash your teeth out like cross check him go like a crazy guy 
and I'm, that's not my real nature, but like, you know, what he said, what he's trying to tell me was I will get so much more room on the ice and people will not challenge me as much. If they're, if they're afraid, if they've seen a highlight of me cross-checking some guy right in the face and knocking his teeth out, like they might think that might be coming to them. And I never got it. And it was such good advice. Like in a way, like, like it, you're going to have to fight way less over the next 10 years of your career. If you can just blow some people up right away mm. and have people be afraid of you. And I never got it. And uh, I wish I could have executed that a little bit better. But let's say about this rookie year. I mean, what, what impression did you want to make? Did you want to be known as, as a scorer, a speedster, uh, a fighter, an enforcer? I mean, what did you want to be known as? Known for? Well, I knew I, was a, I knew I had a goal scorer in me. I was really raw. They had Mark Messier, Pavel Burry. you were playing center at the time? Yeah. And, and like Lonnie Bohan scored 50 goals in the minors the year before, but he didn't make the team. Like I missed the whole, listen, this is a crazy story. It's in the book. I had to get heel surgeries three times leading into training camp. So I couldn't even skate like before camp. Like, guys are skating for months, like July, August, getting into September. Yeah. I couldn't put skates on. They wouldn't fit on my feet until about two weeks before training camp. I remember bench pressing 225, uh, 29 times at training camp. Like that's like NFL numbers, but I couldn't. I couldn't work out my legs because I had all these surgeries on my heels because yeah, they were hollow. Yeah. It was like the weirdest thing. So long story short, what did I want to do? I wanted to, I wanted to get in the league. Then my Keenan took over and I was terrified because he hates young guys. And I'm like, he's going to send me down. He's going to bury me and I'm never going to play. So I just was like a freaking animal. And there was this turning point where the game was 2-2. I feel this kick in the back of my um, kidneys. And I turned back. I'm like, ah. I, I pretended ignored. I just didn't want to get on his bad side. It was the second game he was coaching us. Then I felt another kick in my other kidney hard, right where oh. the pants and the shoulder pads like are, don't meet in the back. Yeah. And I turned around. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, what have, you, what have you done tonight? And I'm like, nothing. I haven't had a shift yet. And we're in the second period. And he goes, I don't even know who you are. Who are you? <laughs> he says, I think I'm going to send you down tomorrow. And I'm like, put me on the ice. I'll do something. Show me. He's like, no, nah, you're not going to do anything. And I'm like, I'll do something. Put me on the ice. He's like, and the play's going on. Like, he's not even looking at the play. He's just having a fight with me on the bench. So the whistle goes. There's a faceoff right by our bench. And he uh, he lines me up on left wing. I'm a right-handed centerman or, or right winger. He puts me on the left wing. And I'm like, well, I got to do something now. So I look over at the guy beside me and I think it was Boston or Pittsburgh. It was a black Jersey. I remember. And I just said, Hey, you want to go? And the guy's like, yeah, let's go. And I just beat the piss out of him. And I'm, and I'm punching him in the face, like starting the lawnmower just down Jeez. on the face. And I'm looking up at Keenan. I'm not even looking at the guy that I'm hitting. You're looking I'm, at him. I'm looking at Keenan, like F you, like shame, a, shame on you, you were for projecting. You were projecting. This. That was his face. So I then remember him. The refs come and grab me. And they wrap their arms around me and they try to turn me around to skate me across from the bench to the, the box. penalty box. But I don't turn around. And I'm staring at Keenan like... So he's holding you and you're pulling it backwards. He, like he's pushing me. He's pushing me backwards <laughs> towards the penalty box. And I'm staring at Keenan and I have rage. I have rage in my eyes. I'm like, I've never been called out by a coach like that ever. And I'm, I'm like, F you, right? And then Keenan's looking at me and all of a sudden this huge shitty grin breaks out across his face he knew what he was doing it's a mastermind right there he loved it master 
So oh, I went man. from being his whipping boy, which I still kind of was, but he knew he could push me and I would respond. He hated it if he would push a guy and the guy would shrivel up. He hated that. Mm. So that's I went, his technique. That's I, his co- that was his coaching technique. Yeah, and it's not. I don't necessarily agree with it, but it, it, <laughs> that's what he did. And old school. Um, it's old school. It's and, old school, man. And anyways, I became one of his probably favorite players. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I mean, dude, you mentioned some names there. It was funny. I mean, I was, I was, I was a Pavel Bure fan growing. I, that was the oh. only other jersey I had aside from the Islanders. I felt like Vancouver was in another division. It was far enough away, <laughs> and that was a badass jersey too. Hey, the old school Canucks jersey. That was a cool jersey. I think I have it yeah. over here. Let me turn my camera. Uh, there it is. I had it in black. I have that in black with Bure. Number yeah. was it ten or eleven? I think. Um, yeah, he was ten. He was 10. so he was fast. He fast was, as fuck. He, he was explosive. Uh, the weird thing about Pavel is he never really shot high. And his stick was super stiff, like so stiff. But he, the way he moved on the ice, uh, he didn't need to go high. He would get the goalie moving laterally with his speed. And then he could either tuck it in behind him or, or shoot it in front of him. And he just, yeah, he was so good. That, that was a good one, man. I want, I want to wrap up hockey, you know, the hockey stories for a little bit. I mean, listen, you know, hockey... It, People talk about fighting in hockey, but that's that's a sport. That's what keeps it, you know, uh, it, it, it polices itself. And and we moved a lot away from that in, in recent years. We'll get to that in a second. But I went down the rabbit hole. I was telling you this before, and I started just going deep into some of your fights. I mean, who was the toughest? I watched Rob Ray, Danico, McSorley, Thornton. Like, who who was, who were you scared? Like, who were you like, oh, fuck. Oh, man, I got to go up against this guy now. You know what? The, the, there's, there's two. There's I, uh, Ty Domi. Oh, he was a beast. always made me nervous. And I'll tell you why. Because if I fought him and I beat him, then I'd have to fight him again and again and again. Do you, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Because like, that's, <laughs> that's what he did. Like, that's all he did. Right. I could, I could score some goals. I could be on the power play if they need me. But like, I didn't want to just fight. Right. But that's kind of when I first started. That's what it was. I didn't have to face him very much when I was out west. When I went out east, we had some run-ins. And um, he's the one guy where I'm like, well, I'll do it, but I'm going to kind of be a little bit on the defensive because here's why. I saw Bob Probert punch him in the face about 75 times and it didn't do anything to him. So if Proby can't hurt him, I don't know if Dave Scatchard's going to like knock this guy out. And if I did, then now I got to know what I do every single time I play Toronto. So I would hit him. I would play physical against him. But like. I didn't really want to fight Ty Domi. He was one of the few guys in the league that like I kind of would rather not. And most most of everybody else like I would say yes to. And um, you know, there was I I really only really remember saying no to Ty. And one time Chris Simon was in in Washington. He's a big dude too. Yeah, but I he's listen, I have I don't care if he hears this. I just, I didn't have any respect for him. I had a dislocated shoulder one year in New York, I think. And uh, we're playing the Rangers and he grabs me and I said, Hey, I got my arm in a sling. I can't move my arm. I can't fight you. I'll fight you next year. I promise. Like whatever. And he's just like, he's like, fuck you. And he grabs me and he just jumps me. And I got one arm. It was like fighting with one arm against this guy. So I slew photo him. I end up trying to eye gouge his eyes out. He's biting my fingers. Like it's like this whole thing. Fuck. But I didn't, re- I hated that guy. And um, Sandy McCarthy, I fought. Um, but like, what's weird was none of the guys, and I'm not saying this mean, but like none of the guys were as scary, tough as I thought they were going to be once I got over like, well, I'm fighting this guy. Like it's happening. 
I just kind of got calm and relaxed. And I was like, well, we've done this before. Let's go. And there's a great story in my book about me getting the tar beat out of me when I was 16 and my nose is to my side. And I fought this guy that was like way bigger than me, toughest guy in the league. And I'm 16. It was my first fight. He exploded my nose all over my face. My first fight on, on, on skates. And uh, I remember going home that day and I was so proud of myself because I'm like, you know what? I'm never going to get beat up like that ever again. And it's, and it's not even that bad. It wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like, so I can fight anybody. That's my mindset. It's like, I'll just fight anybody. Who, who, who was the best player you played with that made you better? <sighs> well, in, okay, th there's like three parts to this. Alexander McGillney, I thought was one of the best all around, sneaky, good, like goals. He had 76 goals one year, I think. But like, he was good defensively. He he would hit a guy sometimes. He'd rock a player. Yeah. Like like, but he would only like he played the game on his own terms and his own rules. And like he he was my best all around teammate. I thought Pavel was very explosive and one of the best finishers I ever saw. Mess was one of the best leaders, but he had it was a tough go in Vancouver. Um, you know, we got when I played with Jason Blake in Long Island, I. I thought we had, and uh, Blakey got my book. He 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 asked me to send him a copy. Um, we had a little chat, and he's like, "You were my favorite centerman I ever played with." And he said, "I was so disappointed when he went up to the first line. I basically went down after scoring twenty-seven goals to like I led the team in goals. And the next year, when Labby Labillette took over, I went down to the fourth line. And I'm like, and I didn't stand up for myself. I should have said something. Like I should. Why didn't you? Because my mentality, and this is partly a default, because the way I was raised is you're a team player. You're grateful for the ice time that you get. You don't rock the boat and be grateful that you're playing in the best league in the world. That was partly how I was raised. That was really very much how I was raised. So that was part of the reason why I lasted, because I was a great teammate and stuff. But at what expense? At, at my own personal development expense? Like... It, right. If I would have fought for that ice time, it it could have transformed my career. But instead, I come off this twenty seven goal year. Um, then I go to the fourth line and work between the third and the fourth line the whole year, and I'm not playing with Blakey anymore. They trade Jason Weimer. They blew up our line, and we had the number one line in the NHL after uh, November of that year where I scored 27. Blakey had his best year. Weems had his best year and I had my best year. And we were a third line and we didn't play power play. Blakey played yeah. a little bit of power play, but we didn't play very much. But I don't know why they did that. And and it was so fun coming to the rink that year. I just knew I was going to score like all the time. We had such yeah. good chemistry. Even in the old barn, right? Even like the, the Coliseum. I love right? that old barn. Like, every, like it's right. the fans, I mean, well, that's that's a good question, man. Like, I mean, straight up. All the teams you played for, which team had the best fan base? We like they were in it to win it. They had our back, win or lose. They looked out for us. Well, win or lose, I don't know because I when I first got to the Isles and Spano was in jail and all this stuff, <laughs> it was a disaster because like the fans didn't know like it, everything. It was just a total gong show. And then, but when we had that playoff run, even though it was against Toronto and we went to Game Seven. And the fans were in it like it was loud and they were like all all in and i believe that you know after we got there i think we made the playoffs two or three times 
in a row before I went off on as a free agent. And um, I think that we really started to change the culture back from that weird dip that was there and we're trying to get back. And I think right now they're in the best spot that they've been in in years and they can do some I, real damage. I can't wait. They and, and they just opened up that new UBS arena here in, on uh, in, in Elmont, which I'm excited to check out. I want. I want. I want are they playing in it? Are they, are they, they start uh, in like next week? I think it's the first game against. I think it's against Vancouver. How exciting! That's yeah. Super and, exciting. And I'm excited to check out. I mean, I love a new arena, man. I mean, the techn- where where it's. I mean, you've been. I mean, the technology. They're beautiful, man. So um, the Islanders brought us in there to yeah. see when they were building it, and they were telling us everything that's going to be in it, and that the technology alone that's in it is going to be insane. Uh, um, if they did half of the things that they were telling us that they were intending to do, this is like a year or two ago. Um, Are you talking about the, Bro- the Brooklyn arena? Oh yeah. 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 Well, they played there for two years and now they built a new arena, a new one where Belmont with a, no, a racetrack. I know is. that's what I mean. They oh, went cool. out yeah. there and there was this hole in the ground and they, yeah. they, they walked us around the site with all these and they're oh, like, nice. they're like, we're employing like 20,000 employees yep. and we're just going to get this thing done quick. And, I was like, holy smokes, if they do, this thing's going to be sick. It's nice, too. It it stands out, man. I mean, listen, seriously, next time, next time, if you come up here for that, I'd love to meet up for a game there. But I want to, I want to wrap this up. Most, your, your proudest moment on ice in the NHL. Whew. And maybe it wasn't like a winning, winning yeah, well, winning okay, moment, right? Like okay. it was, maybe it was a goal, maybe it was okay. a hit, maybe it was in the locker room, right? There were there were hundreds After of a shitty game, right? Like, yeah, there there was so many. Uh, I I know kind of where you're going with this, and I'll share an interesting story. So we were playing Toronto, and they took out Mike Pekka's knee in the playoffs, um, and I said something in the media that like was like you know, we're going to get these guys, we're going to make them pay or we're going to do this or that. And, um, Keenan was pit or sorry. Um, uh, Milbury was really mad that I said that cause it, it was went all across Canada. It was like this big thing. And he's like, well, you know, now if we do anything, we're going to get suspended and stuff. And I'm like, Mike, don't worry, I'll handle it. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, don't worry, I'll handle it. And the next time Toronto came in, I can't remember if it was like in playoffs or like whatever, the whole media, the Toronto media is like the worst. They're, they're, they're so gossipy and they built this big fight thing up with my name attached to everything. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm fighting Ty tonight or I'm guessing, you know, like whatever. And I, and I couldn't normally it's weird. Normally I'd be nervous before the, the, the game or whatever. I was so calm and I'm just like, well, I got to back up my words. Like I said, that I'm going to protect my teammates like this. And the very first shift Shane Corson plays is at center and he's normally on the wing. Of course, it's pretty tough. And Weems looks over at me and goes, hey, like, let me play center. I'm like, no, I got this. This is my freaking, I started this thing like I got it. And he's like, sketch, like just heads up. And he's a left, you know, da, da, da. He's telling me, and I'm like, don't worry, I got it. And I squared off with course. And we had a great fight. The fans were fired up. He was trying to knock my block off. I was trying to knock his block off. We ended up like having an okay fight, decent fight. And on the way to the box course, like kind of gave me props. He's like, Hey, attaboy kid. And he's like, you're, you know, good job. Like way to show up or something like that. And like, that was a moment, like you wouldn't think you'd be proud, but like that had been building and building and building and building and anybody can spout off to, but, but to like back it up and, and do it for your teammate. This had nothing to do with Dave Scatcher. Like those are my teammates you're attacking. You know what I mean? Like screw you guys. And I was proud of that because that was the type of player that I was. I would stick up for my teammates. So that you know, you talk about that. That's 
It could be the time I scored a hundred goals, right? My my hundredth goal or my two hundred, three hundredth point or whatever. Like, I don't know if I got three hundred, maybe two hundred. <laughs> I wish I had two eighty nine. My two hundredth point, like those could be the the things. They could be those are milestones. I had two hat tricks. Actually, in Long Island, I had two hat tricks uh, in in the same month. That was really magical because I'm like, holy smokes! Like, I was up for Player of the Month in the NHL. Like, and I'm That's Dave Scatcher from a town of 6,000 people that people told me I'd never make it and it's too small and I'm too skinny. And like, now I'm in the show and I'm doing stuff. Like, that's pretty proud. This is, this is, this is a goods, man. And, and let's, mm -hmm. let's take it to the dark side here, right? You've, you've had your hits, you've taken it, been yeah. rattled around, but t take us to that final hit. You know, what, what did you feel and what was going through you when, when, like, did you know it was over at that point when you took that last, it was a pretty <coughs> shitty hit, too? Yeah. Um, well, there's two ways we can go with this. Uh, there's there's, choice. there's a there's a shortened version, which I think is the right call for now. If you want to hear the rest, you can read the book. Um, I get lit up when I'm I get sent down to the minors from St. Louis, and there's four games to go left in the minors, and they're going to bring me out back up for playoffs. And the the puck drops. It's the start of the game. I make a great play. I'm going full speed. I make a backhand pass, and this defenseman, like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. After I pass the puck, like I don't have any guard up. I'm going full speed. He's Blind coming side. at me full speed. Blows me up. I'm knocked out in midair. I fall down. I hit my head on the ice, and for half a second, I'm actually like conscious. And then I just drop into unconsciousness for nine, 10 minutes. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>